John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel, and Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find them. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him before he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples, and after he was raised, after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he'd asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, to, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to do something a little unusual today for me. I typically don't read my messages to you. But as I was preparing for this week and finalizing my notes, I started 
pondering that scene and series of images and I found myself indulging in a hobby of mine. I love to write. I write uh, short stories and stuff. I'm working on books all the time and you know, I just like to write. And as I was processing this scripture, I was thinking, you know, that last thing that John says really intrigues me. He says that if all that could be written about Jesus were put into books, I suppose there wouldn't be enough room in the world for all the books. And I thought, what does that mean exactly? You know, I've seen some pretty thick biographies of people. I've read a few. They're big, but they're contained in one book. I've seen volumes of books. The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, I would recommend it for weightlifting as well as heavy reading. But it is still a finite number of books. And I presume that if you told Jesus' life story with a special, a special section of just the three years of his ministry, you could still put a finite number of books together. So what does he mean when he says that? And that's what I started writing. And that's when I started thinking, you know, this is not about words and deeds. This is about the very person that Jesus is. Now, according to the Gospel of Matthew, the apostles had been instructed to meet with Jesus at a designated location in Galilee. And so that's why they were there. And unlike in Jerusalem, where they had access to neighborhood markets, other disciples who could bring them food and so forth. In Galilee, if they wanted to eat, they were going to have to go out and get something. And what better for these guys than to go fishing when they're hungry? They know how to do that. They've been doing it for a long time. And we know that was probably the purpose of their fishing trip, because if it were a commercial fishing trip, there probably would have been at least one other boat because that's how they did it. They would drag the boats, the nets between the boats and trawl around the lake until they accumulated fish for the market. Instead, a few of them have gone out sort of fishing for the next day's meals and they weren't having much luck. And here's where I started writing what I imagine. I imagine Jesus sitting in a comfortable place watching this small single masted fishing boat as it bobs on the dark waters of Lake Tiberias. A few men work with nets in the light of torches that they've mounted on the gunnels. Their shirtless backs glow with golden beads of sweat as their disappointment mounts with each empty square foot of net they haul in. Jesus must have been able to hear the voices as they grumbled and complained. Have I lost it? Peter might have exclaimed. Perhaps with a chuckle, Jesus calls out, how's it going? The Galilean shoreline is still dimly lit as the sun's rays have pushed up the eastern slopes of the plateau on the opposite shore, splaying beams of shadow and amber sun into the sky. There is a small yellow fire near the source of the voice, but the fishermen cannot make out who it is that's calling to them. And he says again, how's it going? Great, says one sarcastically. Then Jesus shouts, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? fool says the same one they don't cast their nets on the rudder side of the boat since the tiller creates crowding and a potential for tangles john gets a strange feeling though he's heard this sort of suggestion before peter and john exclaim, exchange a knowing glance and then peter single-handedly casts the heavy net over the other side within minutes the net has enveloped an entire school of fish 
that is now pulling the boat toward deeper water. The sudden flurry of activity in and around the boat is brilliantly illuminated now by the sun that has crested the tan-colored mountains. The man on the shore is still not known, but his familiar laugh can be heard echoing across the water. It's the Lord, shouts John, as Peter hurriedly reels in the huge catch of fish, pulling hand over hand with thick brown arms. As some of the mass of glimmering pulsating fish drops onto the deck, Peter swings the tiller back and forth like a paddle. He is staring intently at the little flickering fire near the shore. Finally, his impatience overwhelms him so that he impulsively leaps into the water and swims to the shallows and then wades onto the rocky beach. Later, as the men sit on rocks, crossed legs, devouring flame, roasted fish, one says, only the Lord could arrange for a net to be that full without bursting. Another says, 153 fish. Jesus laughs out loud, declaring, Matthew, only you would have counted those fish. As if the familiar blessing and breaking of bread an hour earlier didn't prove it, Matthew says, Lord, it's really you. And they all feel the same way. It's impossible to fully grasp what they have come to know is true. Jesus was brutally killed and is now present their resurrected Lord. He is all that they had hoped for and all that he would ever be more. Yet they are all aware of how wrong they were about the way Jesus would fulfill their hopes and the Father's plan. None is sorrier than Peter. Jesus notices as Peter pitches another fish head aside and swallows a long draft of water from a bladder. Peter's eyes dart in several directions, but never in Jesus' direction. Peter, do you love me? Jesus says as he pulls some bread from a loaf. Peter tries to act casual as he mutters, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I'll never forget who you really are. Jesus responds by saying, I want you to take care of my flock. Peter, again feigning nonchalance, forces a burp and says nothing. A few minutes later, Jesus asks, so we're just friends then. Peter stops looking around and pretending to be casual. His brow furrows and he stares at the ground between his dirty feet. Maybe he recalls the night when he'd forgotten to wash the master's feet and then foolishly joked about being washed all over. Peter then states plainly, I can never forget who you really are. The others have stopped talking and the sound of the lapping water mingles with the crackling of the fire. Jesus looks intently at Peter and says again, take care of my flock. Peter is deeply disturbed, and only he and the Lord know where his thoughts are in this moment. His hands are dangling over his knees as his wrists rest on the caps. He might have imagined the wrists of Jesus pierced with spikes as he cried out in agony. Peter might have thought, I did that to him. I denied I knew him when I should have stood with him. The fishing didn't feel right anymore, but neither does following Jesus. He can't imagine what good he is to Jesus or anyone else now. In that moment, the familiar sounds of the Galilean lake shore have faded out. There is only one thing to hear. It is Jesus asking, Peter, do you know who I am then? With tears streaming from his eyes, the strong, impetuous, brave, irreverent leader of the 12 whales, yes, Lord, you know that I understand who you are. You know that I get it, but I, I've disowned you, and I don't blame you for disowning me. Jesus is suddenly standing in front of Peter, 
His wounded arm and hand extended downward toward Peter. Take care of my flock, Jesus says softly. And with that, Jesus raises Peter to his feet. Jesus embraces him, and Jesus, too, is crying. Peter, he says, through their mingled tears, you're exactly who I want you to be. I'm sure you won't let me down. In fact, I foresee a day when you will willingly die for me. What's been done is done. The other disciples witness this exchange while experiencing a full range of their own emotions. John is beaming and seems to be delighted with Peter's humility. Peter catches a glimpse of John's face and he is bewildered. Sniffling, he asks Jesus, what about them? What will become of the others? As he turns toward the others, his left arm is still behind Peter's torso and Jesus gestures towards John and says, you need only to focus on my will for your life. If he lives forever, it's not your concern. John always had an unusual grasp of Jesus' divine nature. His thoughts were often ethereal and his words mysterious. It was as if he had received some measure of the spirit that eluded others until the day of Pentecost. John would have said it wasn't so. John's mind was sharp and his perception was remarkable. He simply had been able to grasp Jesus' meaning more quickly than others at times. He irritated the others when he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, but it wasn't his intention. He simply had grasped the depth of Jesus' nature early on, and for that he was rewarded with a twinkle in Jesus' eye or an affirming, affirming nod. And so when he told people that it was his personal testimony written down in the book that would bear his name, it was so that they would know the trustworthiness of his words. He even made it plain that if all that could be written about Jesus were to be printed, it would, be, it would take more books than the world could contain. And as he penned this phrase, John perhaps recalled that Peter had once declared Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what I picture when I read that story. Because he's my Jesus, because he's alive and real to me, he is this man who is alive today, who reaches out to me and is with me in the spirit. And while I don't know his flesh in the way that they did, I know him through his word, through his presence, through his being, through the way that he changes the way I look at the world and the way I hear things, the way I experience things. The reason I imagine John said that it would take more books than the world could hold is because he's not talking about the stuff that Jesus did or the stuff that Jesus said. He's talking about the relationship with this being who is all, who is I am, who is the God of all creation personally attached to me as a friend and a brother. The depth of love and personal, intimate relationship that you can have with God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is what can't be described no matter how many books you write. And this is what I preach for. This is what I plead with you about each week, that you might have a life so intimately affected by the Lord Jesus that your conversations with him, your interaction with him is like that of Peter and John and all the others, and that it might lead you to deeds and words and, and more 
because you become the very extension of who he is. You become the extension of his being. Now there's something that there'll never be enough books to write because it never ends. Because we are the body of Christ and the body of his works never ends. Because he is eternal and he has made us, his flesh, eternal as well. So my hope for you is that you accept this gift, that you say yes to Jesus. And if you have, that you say yes to him when he says, I know you mess up from time to time. I know you disown me from time to time, but I still need your help. Take care of the flock. Do the work that I've called you to do. The only thing standing between you and that is the saying yes. Acknowledging Jesus like Peter, in any way you do, will always result in Jesus saying, fine, then join me in what I'm doing. It's better this way. And this is my prayer for you. Let me pray now. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts so that we might actually be changed forever by it. I pray especially, Lord, that this message today has touched someone who has a particular need of renewal a new life in you. I pray that this is the day that someone says yes to you for the first time. Oh Lord, we don't look for a show. We don't look for anything special. We just look for a heart that is strangely warmed and transformed so that we are forgiven, made new, and now part of your plan and your hope and your life for all eternity. And we pray this for his name's sake, for our Savior. Amen.